Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to all be together here on this Father's Day. If you're watching with us online, uh, great to have you with us as well. If you're new with us or if this is the first time you've maybe come in person, if you've been watching online, we would love to connect with you today. Uh, We we would love to just help you take a next step in your faith. And so I'm just excited to have you with us and excited to have you part of things. We have been working our way through a series called Summer in the Psalms. And essentially what we're doing every week is we're looking at a different psalm in the scriptures and talking about the hope that we have and the power that we have for our lives uh, following Christ in the psalms. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 22. Um, But before we do that, in our way of getting into it this morning, um, since it's Father's Day, I would love to tell you one of my favorite dad stories uh, just one of my favorite stories of, of being a dad. And so uh, my wife, Carrie, and I, we have four boys. And several years ago, my wife went on a missions trip to Haiti for an entire week and left me in charge of my four boys. So already this is going in a bad direction. And so um, on this one particular evening, my older two boys, who were maybe seven and nine or eight and ten, something like that, at the time, they were outside playing with the neighbor kid. I was inside watching the two younger boys which was keeping me plenty busy. And I hear the door open, the front door of our house open, and I can hear my older two boys come in the house, and I'm listening, I can hear them, they're like rummaging through all the drawers and all the cabinets in the kitchen. So I can hear drawers opening, I hear cabinets opening and shutting like they're, they're looking for something. And so I decided to make an appearance. So I came up the stairs, I walked into the kitchen, and I said, hey guys, what are you doing? And as soon as I walked into the kitchen, the overwhelming smell of gasoline hits me. They just reek of gasoline, these two. And so they kind of turn around and just stand there. And I said, boys, what have you been up to? And my oldest kind of shuffles his feet and he finally says, we've been making a potion. You've been making a potion show me right now what you've been doing. So they take me outside into our garage with the neighbor kid. I walk in the garage and they take me to this five-gallon bucket, that, by the way, that's inside this enclosed area, this garage, and where they have poured gasoline and oil, hornet spray, literally emptied an entire can of hornet spray, various other chemicals that they could find in the garage in this enclosed space. The fumes were unbelievable. And then they had found in a corner some, uh, we had had some fireworks that we had never used. They'd broken them open and poured all the black powder in there. They had come inside to look for the matches. That's what they were rummaging around looking for when I found, when I caught them. Now, I love to tell that story. I've told that story so many times to so many people. The reason that's such a fun story to tell is because I got there in time. (laughs) 
right? The only difference between that being a great anecdote and some horrible, tragic story is the fact that I showed up in time as their father and intercepted what they were about to do. If, if I had not done that, that would be the horrible, tragic story of how my boys blew up an entire city block with a dirty bomb that they made in our garage. <laughs> so we're looking at Psalm 22 today. And Psalm 22 actually is all about the question, what do you do with the moments in life where God doesn't respond in time? What do you do with the moments in life where your heavenly father doesn't show up in time and the bomb goes off? How do you make sense of that as a follower of Christ? Uh, When you held the all-night prayer vigil and asked God to heal them, and they died anyway. Uh, when you found the perfect house or, or the perfect job, and so it's exactly what you've been praying for. You knew that was exactly uh, what God had for you, and so you filled out the job application. You put the offer in on the home, and then you watch someone else get the job. You drive by the house, and you watch someone else moving into the house. Or what do you do uh, when friends and family are talking to you and they say things like, so if, if you're a Christian and God is so good and he's su- such a loving, wonderful father, how is it that you still have cancer? Explain that. Psalm 22 is about those questions in life. It's about those moments in life where we try to figure out what do I do when God doesn't show up in time and I'm left trying to put the pieces back together. Uh, Psalm 22 actually begins with the words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And any of us, if we follow Christ for any amount of time, we're going to hit some point where we feel like that's exactly what's happened to us, is that God somehow has abandoned us, that he's walked away, that as a father, he just hasn't shown up when we needed him the most. So from the context of the Old Testament, the way we understand Psalm 22, uh, it's a lament of David. So King David wrote it, and it it begins as a lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's a pivot that happens, and and we're going to look at that here in a moment. But there's this moment, it's it's a crazy psalm because it goes one direction, and then it turns around and does like a 180 and goes completely in the other direction. There's this pivotal moment where it shifts and turns, and it goes from being a lament about God abandoning David to a psalm of praise for God's deliverance. It's really unique in that way. Now, from the Old Testament, that's how we understand it. That's how we see it. But when you go into the New Testament, Psalm 22 appears again in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Psalm 22 can be seen so clearly as pointing again and again and again to someone and something bigger than King David. It points directly to Jesus and his experience on the cross. Now, this is an example of what scholars call census plenier. Census plenier means fuller sense. That's what it means. And I'm not going to take a long time to explain that in depth. But basically, census plenier is this idea that there is in Scripture a human author that is writing in their context and their immediate purpose. But then there is also a divine author. The Holy Spirit is inspiring that author to write about a fuller sense, a larger meaning of what God's trying to accomplish in his purposes. In other words, was David intending to write about Jesus on the cross when he penned the words of Psalm 22? No, I don't think so. 
Uh, in fact, David didn't know specifically about Jesus. And in fact, the cross had not even been invented yet by the time David wrote these words. And yet, when you read Psalm 22, it is so clearly and specifically talking about the experience of the cross. But I don't think David had any idea when he wrote Psalm 22 that that's specifically what he was writing about. But did the Holy Spirit that inspired David to write those words, did God have in mind the purpose of the cross and Jesus when David wrote the words of Psalm 22? The answer to that is yes. Absolutely yes. So let's do this. Let's go to the New Testament where Psalm 22 appears. So we're going to Matthew 27. Jesus is on the cross. He's literally hanging there. He's been stripped. He's been beaten Uh, He's been crucified. He's hanging on the cross. These are some of his final moments. Verse 45, it says this, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, for Jesus' followers who are gathered around the cross in this moment, this looks like Jesus at his weakest. This was probably like a letdown moment, honestly. For, if you were waiting for this Jewish king, this Messiah who was going to overthrow the Romans and right all the wrongs and you'll put everything back together again, this is a low moment. This is an embarrassing moment. Here is Jesus on the cross uh, suffering and he's dying. And in his dying moments, he believes his father has abandoned him, that his father has walked away from him. In fact... Uh, A lot of Christians don't like this passage. Uh, They don't know what to do with this passage of Scripture. You'll hear people try to kind of justify it. Well, like, you know, yeah, Jesus had that one moment, you know, kind of that moment of weakness there. But, you know, that wasn't really, you know, and and we try to explain it. We try to go around it. And we we have a hard time a lot of times as Christians trying to understand uh, what in the heck is going on here in this moment when Jesus says, I'm abandoned. And and here's what we need to understand. In a theological sense, Jesus really did experience abandonment in that moment. What we understand about the cross theologically is that Jesus took on our sin. He took on the punishment that was due us. And so in that moment when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, in a very real sense, was experiencing the abandonment that we deserve. The abandonment that our sin earned us, he actually got to experience that in that moment, taking our place on the cross. But it's not just that. There's there's more to this. Here's the key thing that will unlock this entire passage of Scripture for you to help you see it in a totally new way. In New Testament times, in Jesus' day, the Psalms were not numbered. They weren't numbered. So Psalm 22 was not called Psalm 22 in Jesus' day. That's not how any Jewish person would refer to Psalm 22. We numbered the Psalms later. They were numbered much later at a different time in history. In Jesus' day, the way you would reference the Psalms was by the first line of the Psalms. So if you wanted to reference Psalm 22, you wouldn't say, hey, you know Psalm 22. What you would say is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in, in this moment, when Jesus says this line, he's hanging there on the cross, and, and he breathes out this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just referring to the first line of Psalm 22. He's intending to refer to the entirety of Psalm 22. Matthew is writing his gospel to Jewish people. 
And the people gathered around the cross, the disciples, when they heard Jesus say this, as Jewish people, this would have called to their memory the entirety of Psalm 22. As Jewish people, you would have grown up from a very young age, you would have memorized the entire Psalms. All of the Psalms you would have committed to memory, that would have been expected of you. And so when Jesus says Psalm 22, you're starting to remember all the other things after, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Here's some of the other things. Here's, I'm just giving you the highlights. It's, Psalm 22 is very long. These are some of the other uh, phrases in Psalm 22. I am scorned by everyone. All who see me mock me. They pierce my hands and my feet. They divide my clothing among them, and they cast lots for my garment. It goes on and on. So in this moment, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Is what, is what Jesus wants his hearers to understand is, right now I'm abandoned by God. That's what's happening right now in this moment. In a sense, that's true. But also, what Jesus is wanting his hearers to understand is right now, you are watching Psalm 22 be fulfilled in me. I am right now accomplishing the purposes of God of Psalm 22. My, my death looks like a defeat, but my death is actually a victory. It may look right now. Like God has turned away, God has walked away. But in this moment, at my, at my lowest, at my weakest, when I look the most abandoned by God, this is actually God stepping in and accomplishing his purposes through me. And what were those purposes? The gospel. This is the moment the gospel is being accomplished. What we understand is that Jesus was rejected and abandoned so that we could be accepted. He got a crown of thorns so we could get a crown of life. Jesus was wounded on the cross so that, like Isaiah 53 talks about, so that by his wounds we could be healed. That's what's happening in this moment. And Jesus is recognizing, he's, he's saying, in this moment where I am my weakest, in this moment where I am my lowest, in, in this moment where I am my most vulnerable, the opposite of power, a lot of times, you know, as Christians, we want like the powerful Jesus. We want the big, strong Jesus. We want the one who's victorious. And Jesus is saying, you got it. This is it. My death looks like a defeat. My death is actually a victory. It's God moving in power. Psalm 22, when Jesus quotes it, it's at, Psalm 22 is actually not a psalm of abandonment. Now, it starts out that way. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it talks about the experience of abandonment on the cross but like we said before, it's verse 24 is where it happens. In verse 24, there's this pivotal moment that happens. There's a shift. It's the 180 moment where it turns around and goes the other direction. This is what verse 24 says. It says, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Jesus is, is declaring right now God is stepping in. Right now he is accomplishing his purposes. The gospel is being accomplished and God is actually drawing near. That's what Jesus is saying on the cross. So that's the, the picture of Psalm 22. That's the picture it paints. And that's the hope it gives us in Jesus. And so the question I'd love to just ask is how does this speak to our lowest moments? As followers of Christ, how does this speak to our moments where the bomb went off? How does this speak to the moments where we feel like God has abandoned us, where we feel like he's turned around and he's walked away from us? 
See, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, when in our weakest moments, when we feel abandoned and we come to him, the gospel actually has the power to transform the way we see our own suffering. The gospel has, a, has the power to transform the way that we see all our earthly struggles and the way we see every low moment of abandonment in our lives. I'm going to give you two, two ways. And there's lots more than just two ways, but I'm just, for our time today, I'm just going to give you two ways that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that the gospel actually transforms completely the way that we see our suffering and our times of abandonment. First one is this. A valley, whenever we experience a valley, a valley is never a permanent destination. When we experience a valley, when we experience a time of abandonment, a time where we feel like uh, God has walked away from us, it's never a permanent destination for us when we have our faith and our trust in Christ. Right? Like what we cry out when we experience times like that is, my God, where, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? And sometimes we say that because of a circumstance. Maybe something's happened and we can't make sense of it in our lives. We can't make sense of why God's allowed it in our lives. Other times, maybe we feel that sense of abandonment because we've sinned. Maybe we've been disobedient to God. We've done something and we know it. And so, you know, when we sin, there is consequences naturally to our sin. And so we feel that sense of distance from God. And so it's easy to say, maybe God's just abandoned me. Maybe he's, you know, just turned around and walked away from me. But what we can have hope in is that in Jesus, God never abandons us. Because of Christ, because of what he did on the cross, because of the victory that he already won on our behalf that we were just singing about a moment ago, we are not abandoned. We're, we're never abandoned. We never experience that because of what Jesus did. In, in that way, sin doesn't have the power to kick us out of the game. Your sin doesn't have the power to kick you out of the game. Uh, it's not having a forgiveness and an identity in Jesus that's bigger than your sin. That's what sidelines you. There, there's no circumstance that can happen in your life that can disqualify you. It's not having an identity in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what can stop you. That's what can disqualify you. Jesus accomplished victory on our behalf so that everything that we experience is temporary. The gospel message is not that, you know, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, he'll protect you from every bad thing happening in your life. And that everything's just going to be completely fair from here on out. The gospel message is that we win. We win in the end. And that, therefore, everything that we experience, our trials are only temporary. That's all they ever can be because of what Jesus accomplished. That should give us great hope in any kind of trial that we go through. Our trials are temporary. A valley is never a permanent destination, but it's even better than that. Not only are our trials temporary, but when we put our weaknesses, when we put our low moments in Jesus' hands, our trials actually become our greatest testimony. Our trials actually become the places in our lives where God does his best work and puts his glory on display. So the second thing here, a valley is always an opportunity for Christ to be revealed in our lives. That's what a valley is. It's always an opportunity for Christ to be revealed in our lives. Our trials not only are temporary, but they actually, if we allow it, if we put our trials and our weak moments in the hands of Jesus, they become our greatest testimony. You see this in Psalm 22. 
after the pivotal moment, after verse 24 where everything kind of turns and it becomes a psalm of praise for deliverance, these are some of the lines. Again, I'm just pulling out kind of the highlights here. It says this, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He's done it. What is it talking about here? It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about from verse 22, after Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf, that future families of the nations will bow down before him. Future generations will be told about it. They will be claiming to a, a generation yet unborn. It's talking about us here in this room. It's talking about the generations of people that would come to know saving faith in Jesus. And the declaration is, he has done it. He's accomplished it on our behalf. Do you understand how different that is from every other major world religion or any other pop psychology or self-help manual you're going to find out there? The, the Buddha, in, in, the, in Buddhism, the sacred scriptures of Buddhism, the last words that the Buddha speaks, that they have recorded the Buddha, the Buddha speaks, is never cease striving. That's what he dies. The, the great spiritual leader dies saying, and it's like this in, in other world religions as well, never cease striving. Keep working. Keep putting effort forth. Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished. He has done it. It's been accomplished on your behalf. Therefore, there's no striving left. There's no work left to be done. The, the only work that's left to be done is to trust and believe and rest in what he did for you. And when you do that, when you actually make that your, your goal, stand back and watch what he does with it. The point of the gospel is not that we have perfect lives and perfect families. The point of the gospel is that when we come to him in our weakness, when we surrender to him our weakness and when we trust and rest in his strength and his victory, he is able to redeem everything in our lives. He's done it. It's his work on the cross. We don't have to be perfect. So it's Father's Day. I have a, a complicated relationship with Father's Day. Um, when I was uh, younger, when my boys were little, uh, I chose to spend long hours working here at the church. Let me say that again. I chose to work long hours at the church. Now, I wouldn't have told you that back then. I would have said, well, you know, I'm very busy. There's, we don't have very many staff, and there's so much work that needs to be done. And I would have said, you know, you all need me, apparently. You all need me so much. That's what I would have said. But the truth of the matter is, when my kids were little, I didn't know how to connect with them as a father. In fact, to this day, two-year-olds still kind of scare me a little bit. I mean, I mean they're great. I like them on a... <laughs> on a case-by-case -case basis anyway. <laughs> but, but when my kids were that age, I literally didn't know what to do with them. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the deep, you know, fear inside of me was, what if I don't have what it takes to be a father? I don't feel this natural just connection with my kids. And so my solution to that was I just ran to the place in my life where I felt adequate, which was my job, and I just put more and more and more hours in and worked harder and harder and harder there. And I put an incredible burden on my wife, Carrie. 
when my kids were little. Uh, as they got older, I, there were messages, there were times where I preached messages here at Frontline that they were here in the room for about parenting. And then I went home right after church and I yelled at them and I was harsh with them right after they listened to this message from their dad about how to be a great father or whatever it was. There, there was a year in my life, there, during that year, I preached a series on marriage here at the church. And during that year, I was slowly walking down the path of an emotional affair. Now, do you know why I can tell you that? You know, I, I, truthfully, it doesn't bother me at all to tell you those things. You, you know why? Because it's actually the weak moments of my life. It's actually the moments where I have failed the most. Those are the sites. Those are the very places in my life where he has done his best work. It's where he has shown the brightest. It's, it's the best stuff I have to talk about. It's the best stuff I have to offer. Because those are the moments where I wasn't strong and he was strong on my behalf. Every single one of those moments, I had to come to a place where I just, I quit hiding. I quit running to wherever I felt strong. And I had to just put my, my weaknesses in his hands and say, God, if you can do something with me, if you can do something with this, then I'll let you do it. And you know what? He does it every time. Those weak moments in my life did not disqualify me as a father. They qualified him as a savior. The weak moments of your life don't disqualify you. They just qualify him even more to step in as a savior. So dads, fathers, can I, can I help you out today? Can I give you a clue? You know what your kids need most from you? Whether your kids are grown and 25 years old or whether they're still in diapers, you know what your kids need the most from you as a father? What they need for you to do is to show your weaknesses, to be real with them and to point to Jesus as your true strength. It's the best gift you could ever give your kids. It's the best gift I've ever given my kids. It's not to run and to hide, but to actually show your weaknesses, to actually be real about them, but then to point in those weaknesses to the true strength, the only true rock, the only true strength there is in this world, and that's the person of Jesus. We don't have to be perfect, fathers. He already did it on our behalf. He already was perfect. He was qualified in all those places where we have disqualified ourselves. And so our job is just to put our weaknesses in his hands. And I'm telling you, when you do that, stand back and watch. It's powerful what he will do in your family. It's powerful what he will do in your life individually. And it's powerful what he will do in your legacy to a people yet unborn through one man who's willing to be faithful to Jesus and say, it's not about me. I, I'm fine to share my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses that he's actually strong. This is why in the New Testament, Paul says things over and over again, like, I will boast in nothing but the cross. In another place, he says, my, his strength has actually been made perfect in my weakness. It's why he says these things, because that's the truth of the gospel. That's who Jesus is. The cross is where Jesus actually got revealed. It looks like his weakest moment, but that's the mystery of the gospel. It's actually his moment of greatest strength. It's weakness 
submitted to the Lord so that his purposes and his glory could be accomplished. That's what Psalm 22 is all about. It's what we see. And it becomes not only the hope for our souls and for salvation, but it becomes the model for how we live our lives. So I wanted to close. Um, I wrote something. I, I want to be just kind of a charge to us as dads. And I got a couple other staff members to kind of help me as I wrote this. And so we actually put this on a card. It looks like this. And so uh, when you're walking out of here after the service is over, right there at the cafe, there are the vouchers for the food trucks. Uh, but then there are also a stack of these cards. This is just a, just says dads of frontline and there's a charge I'm going to read to you in just a moment. And I, I would love if every single father here uh, today, and if you're watching online, um, we've got a way we can, uh, we will actually post this on so social media so you'll have a way to get it as well. But if you're here physically in the room, we'd love for you to grab one of these cards on your way out and just put it somewhere where you're gonna see it. Put it on, on the dashboard of your car. Put it in your office at work or wherever, wherever it is, somewhere you're gonna see it. And this is just a charge. This is what we're called to be for our purposes, for God's purposes and what he wants to accomplish in us. Here's what it says. It says, dads of frontline, we will be present, not absent. We will put our families first, not our careers. We will be honest about our weaknesses, not hide behind our strengths. We will finish the race set out before us, not coast into passivity. We will not let mistakes, failures, or excuses stop us because he who promised is faithful. His grace is enough for us and his power is made perfect in our weakness. That's the charge to you today. It's not to be perfect. Because he already was on your behalf. And he longs for you to, to point to him as your true strength. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we come to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the only one who, co who contains true strength. And we know, God, that you accomplished your work on the cross in our place and on our behalf. And so this morning, all that there's left to do is to worship you. All there's left to do is to point to you. All there is left to do is to rest in your finished work on the cross. And so I just pray for all of us. God, some of us in this room have deep wounds from our Father. Would you be the Father to us that our earthly Father could never be? We can't get it from Him. What we need, we can only get from you. God, for some of us in this room, we feel like we failed as dads. We feel like we've been disqualified. But God, our, our, our weaknesses, our failures don't disqualify us they only qualify you more in our lives. So God, we, we come to you. I just pray, God, that you would just begin to rebuild families, rebi begin to rebuild legacies through the power of the gospel, through the power of what it means to be set free in Jesus. We just pray that, God. I just pray for fathers in this room who need to just rise up and show up every single day and show up in weakness, not show up in perfection and strength of their own making, of their own power, but need to show up and just allow you to shine through them. I pray that you would just allow them to do that. Set them free to do that, God. And may our children and our children's children and this generation be impacted by it. We ask these things in the risen and resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.